Lonely song, the songs for you. Have you ever wished that you could be in two places at once? Not recently. <laughs> uh, it's probably right up there with being a fly on the wall or being invisible. I'm not interested so much in being a fly on the wall. Remember I told you the story about the guy I knew who invited me over. He hid in the closet and he had his friend answer the door. He said, oh, well, George isn't here. But then we just chatted for a while and he started asking me questions. And I thought, what's going on here? And then after I answered, I don't know how long it was, after I answered the question, then George came out of the closet. He wanted to be a fly on the wall. He wanted to know what other people thought of him. But he knew that the way we are is we don't tell each other the truth. We lie to each other. And he knew that, so he hid in the closet. And that's the same idea as being the fly on the wall. I like to be a fly on the wall so I could hear this or hear that. And I could know what they said or what they think or whatever. That's not something that has been very appealing to me. I've never really wanted to be a fly on the wall. And it might be because after living in a fishbowl for 40 years, let's face it, you stand up and you say something or you record something and it goes out there. And it's out there for the whole world to judge. And they do. They don't hold back. They do. And sometimes what they judge is it's a value, and sometimes what they judge is it's not a value. So after a while, for me, I would just kind of like to be invisible and anonymous. Being a fly on the wall, I'm about pretty tired of hearing what people think of me. I you was know, like, after all these years, I don't want to know what you think about me anymore. I want to know what you're doing about your own consciousness. I'm not interested in what your judgments are of me. I'm interested in what are you doing about yourself? What are you doing about what you find in yourself? Well, all I find in me is good and all I find in you is bad. Well, refer to the light podcast on being capacious then and we'll just move right along from there. So this work teaches that you are in two places at the same time. Now, we talk about this all the time or at least very often. And the reason we do is because it's a key idea in esoteric systems. You can't possibly be stuck here in this physical world thinking that this is all there is, that there's just what can be apprehended, what can be grasped, what can be known through the five senses, and nothing more. If you do, you have the possibility of being one of the happiest people on earth or one of the most miserable people on earth. I don't know which. I guess I've seen both. But if you can allow for something else that the five senses cannot reveal to you, then you have a different possibility. And so esoteric systems say that you are in two places at the same time. Now, it's relatively easy to understand intellectually. I find that if you explain it to someone, they go, oh, yeah, well, sure, that makes sense. But it's extremely difficult to remember it experientially because we are so weighted in the five senses. Our center of gravity is in the five senses. Everything, or nearly everything, that we experience and have experienced for all of our lives has come to us through the five senses. And if there's one thing that I could say about the five senses that I think everyone could benefit from, just one thing, I would say this. Remember that the five senses are liars. If you can remember that, if you can remember, like my mother used to say, believe none of what you hear and only half of what you see. Which means the five senses are liars. We are so heavily weighted in them and we have built neuronic pathways in our brain so that what comes in through the five senses 
never has a chance of falling on a different place in us and giving us different meaning. It gives us the same meaning every time, over and over and over again. And that meaning generally is a meaning that we acquired from people around us in life. And whether it's good or bad, it doesn't matter because it's mechanical, because it's unconscious, because it's repetitive, and because it doesn't give you any room to bring new meaning into it unless you can bring greater ideas, fresher ideas, up to the level of incoming impressions. And the level of incoming impressions for us is the five senses. So where we need to bring these ideas is to the level of the five senses. But it's so automatic for us, we're so buried in the five senses, that it's almost impossible for us to do that. It's certainly easy to talk about it. But the experience, remembering it, when you need to remember it, that's an entirely different matter. What stands in our way of realizing this truth is none other than this pesky gang of five, the five senses. They're so overpowering because of our belief in and reliance upon them. It's as if they have superglued us to the external world, where we locate ourselves out there automatically. It's no question about it. If somebody calls you on a mobile phone and they say, where are you? What do you tell them? <laughs> you tell them where you are in the physical world. Mm -hmm. You tell them what the five senses tell you to tell them. I called Jess. Oh, I'm at home. I called Jess earlier. He said, well, I'm at the office. So if I wanted to know anything else about Jess, I couldn't ask him where he is. Where are you? I had to say, well, where are you internally, Jess? What, what's your inner state? What's your state of mind like right now? How you doing? See? And then you realize, oh, wait, that's right. I am in two places at once. I'm here at my office, or I'm here at my home, or I'm here in this chair, but also I'm in this other place too. So this is what this work is talking about when it says you are in two places at the same time. But because we are so glued to the five senses, we don't think about it very often. We're not aware of it very often. And this is all about becoming more aware, expanding your consciousness, expanding your awareness, getting to know yourself, which can't be done unless you start to see things that you don't normally see, unless you start to have a different perspective, unless you start to think in a new way, which is what these ideas are about, to give you the opportunity to begin to think in a new way so that you can get new meaning. And new meaning means so that things can change in your consciousness, so that your being can change. So, like I said, somebody calls you on the phone, they ask mobile phone, they ask you where you are. Without thinking, you're going to give them your physical location in the world of the five senses, betraying our conviction that we are a body, our reliance upon the five senses. And it tells us, look, you're a body. You are a physical being located in a physical space you're living in a physical world governed by physical laws. Esoteric teachings come along and they say, well, that's not really true. That's really just kind of the shadow of it. You're living on the circumference of yourself. But inside, you're very different. You move away from the circumference of you and toward the center of you. Now, that's one way of looking at it. Another way of looking at it is this is the lowest part of you. The most external part of you, the heaviest part of you, the thickest part of you is also the lowest part of you. And that as you go up in consciousness, things get finer and finer and finer. Thoughts and feelings are finer than your sensations. What would it be like to try to tell somebody where you were internally? 
Well, we know how difficult this is. And look at how bad we are at communicating our feelings to one another. It's almost impossible. What's like this? What's like that? And when we are talking to a group of people, you'll find one person who seems to get it. And it's because they are having a similar experience or they have recently had a similar experience or been in a similar state. And so you look to them and go, oh, finally, somebody gets it. It's very difficult to tell someone where you are internally. It's not as easy and there's no way that you can count it automatic. It's not like looking around and saying, well, I'm in the office or well, I'm at my house. Well, I'm in the back bedroom. You know, it's not like that at all. And if you told someone, if somebody said, well, where are you? And you told them where you were internally, they'd probably think you lost your marbles. And I... <laughs> Speaking of your marbles, where are they? That's it. If you're looking for them through the five senses, you've misunderstood the meaning of the question. What I was thinking about when I made that note was Peter Pan. Do you remember they had their happy thought and that's how they could fly? But one of them, and I can't remember which one, had lost his marbles. And so when he finally found his marbles, he had his happy thought and he could fly again. You remember the story? Okay. The marbles on the outside were just a key, a clue to his happy thought or his internal state. This is the segue. This is how we make it from the external to the internal. This is how we can work on this. And so that's why I bring it up. We're vaguely aware of what I'm calling our I states. But like the ocean floor, they're vast and unexplored. The five senses can't get to those depths. I watched a program on National Geographic. It was called Draining the Oceans. And they had simulated through computer graphics, through sonar, they're mapping the ocean floor. Now, not a lot of it, obviously, because, what, two-thirds of the Earth is covered by water? A little over two-thirds of the Earth is covered by water. So we really don't know what's down there, or we know very little about what's down there. And when you think about it, the depths of the ocean, we're talking about the deepest part being like seven miles deep. Now, think about this just for a moment, just to give you some kind of an idea. A lot of you have been to the Grand Canyon. Rex and I stood on the rim of the Grand Canyon and looked down and... You see little specks down there, mm -hmm. and that's people walking around or on mules, and it's unbelievable. Well, that's a mile deep. Now imagine seven times that. That's how deep the deepest part of the ocean is that we know about so far. Off the coast of California, off the coast of Monterey, Monterey Bay, there is a canyon, and it is almost exactly identical to the Grand Canyon except that it was not cut out over millions of years by the Colorado River. They don't really know how it got there. They just know that there's a canyon that is a mile deep. They slowly drain the ocean so that you can see these canyons, so that you can see what's happening at these different depths. And I thought, this is exactly like us. Our unconscious is well over two-thirds of our awareness. Well over two-thirds. I mean, we are more than two-thirds covered in darkness, basically, that we just do not know. And the thing is, is that we don't believe that. We're sure that we're conscious all the time. We're certain that we know everything about ourselves. And maybe there's a couple of little things that we miss once in a while, but we know that if we thought about it for 30 seconds, we'd have it all figured out. It's true. It's, it's exactly the way we think. Like I said, the five senses can't get to those depths. 
It's not possible to properly understand these esoteric teachings until you begin to understand and navigate these two worlds. Well, we're pretty good at navigating this physical world. You've got a driver's license, you'll get out there in your car and you'll drive home and mostly you won't even know how you got there. It'll be on automatic pilot. You'll just end up there and you won't think anything of it. I remember one time asking somebody, it was years ago when they had a Costco down in San Diego but they didn't have anything up here in North County. Or it wasn't Costco, it was Price Club back then. And I said, well, where is it? She said, well, gee, I don't know. It's down there somewhere off the five. I just drive down there like a rat. I just follow, go down like a rat. I just end up there. I don't know how to tell anybody to get there. Now that's in the physical world. Imagine what it would be like to try and tell somebody how to get to an internal state that you're experiencing. Imagine trying to tell somebody else how they could get into the same kind of state. Well, I have imagined it because that's my job. My job is to try and map and navigate these internal states, not just for myself, but then to make those maps available to other people so that they can, if they wish to, map their own internal states and navigate them. Because there are features that are the same in every single one of us. We all are unique, yes, but there are features that are the same. We're familiar enough with the outer world rendered to us through the five senses so that we can go thousands of miles. You can drive across country. It's not a big problem. It's pretty easy. And you don't have to think a lot about it. Pretty much you just follow the map. You just follow the signs. You've got all these signs. Interstate this, interstate that. Go this way, go that way. North, south, east, west. And you just match it up, what you're seeing, with what's on the map. And mostly you get there. Well, you might get lost a couple of times. But then you just ask for directions. And somehow you get back on track. Internally, it's not the same way at all. The inner psychological world of our eye states can't be perceived or understood through the five senses. To navigate our eye states, we have to develop an entirely new set of senses through informed, properly directed efforts. What? You mean you just can't go out there and flail and find it? Well, I guess you could, but it would be a lot like being dropped into the middle of a forest that you've never been in, a thick forest, or a jungle. Remember when you were in the jungle in Guatemala, Rex? And you can't even see the sun. There's so much green covering you. And it's easy to get lost there. Very easy to get lost. Because you have no bearings. You don't know what's what. So yeah, you could theoretically find your way out. But mostly they find that because if you're left-handed, your left leg is probably stronger than your right leg. And if you're right-handed, your right leg is probably stronger than your left leg that even walking, you'll end up walking in a big circle, even if you think you're walking in a straight line, because one leg is stronger than the other. Oh, happens in the desert as well, when people are wandering around. They end up going in a big circle according to whichever leg is strongest. So it's not so easy as we think it might be. And this is why a new set of senses have to be developed through informed, properly directed efforts. Morris Nichols said, you can be dining at a most beautiful restaurant, in the physical world and be in a very unpleasant place in your psychological world. No matter what you are offered to eat, you feel hateful inside. Inside is where our eye states are. How else could the most beautiful, well-dressed woman in that restaurant feel jealous? And yet you know that is not only possible, but likely. I've seen it. 
And the funny thing is, there was no consoling the woman. There was no reasoning with her. There was no talking to her. Negative states are powerful and addictive. When we're negative, truly, what this work says is true. We're insane. We are insane. And people take to negativity like a fish takes to water. We justify our negative states. We cultivate our negative states. We share our negative states. We love our negative states. And we defend our negative states. Well, I knew a couple that lived in their garage for five months. Really? Well, how'd you like to live in your garage for five months? <laughs> I was like... <laughs> how shall we relate ourselves to this inner world of our I-states? Perhaps we can see clearly the benefit. But it's easier to see it than to be it. So you say, well, okay, well, let's say that I can start to negotiate, navigate these I-states. Let's say that I can do that. What good is it? Maybe you see some benefit of it. Maybe you see that, well, if I'm in a negative state, and if I knew how to get out of it, I would get out of it. But that's not always true, is it? If you know how to get out of a negative state, that doesn't mean you will get out of it. So there's something wrong there. We love our negative emotions. All this work is about where you are in your psychological world, in your I-states. The truth is no real work can be done unless we can first locate ourselves in an I-state. Self-observation can make us see in which I-state we are in our psychological world. Mostly we don't know. We imagine that we do. But then you look in the mirror, you walk by a mirror and you see your face. You think, oh, and you'll smile or you'll put your shoulders back or you'll lift your head because you didn't know what you looked like because you didn't know where you were inside, because you didn't know what kind of an attitude those thoughts were generating with you. Somebody comes up to you and they say, well, what's a, well Lori, how many times has this happened to you? And you come over and I say, well, what's, what's up with you? What's wrong with you? Nothing. What do you mean nothing? Don't tell me nothing. Look first. Before you answer me, when I say, what's up with you? That's like saying, where are you internally? What I state are you in? Don't just answer me without thinking. Because I know you don't know. That's why you look like you look. And so many times after we're asked, we think, oh yeah, well I guess I am kind of grumpy about this or preoccupied with that or whatever. Because we're not aware of this as a rule. Because we're not observing ourselves. Self-observation is what can make us see these states. But what if you don't want to see them? Well, if you don't want to see them, that's easy. You need to turn this off. You need to stop listening to me. Because that's all I'm going to talk about. There's no punchline to this. This is it. This is all about this. There's no, you get to the end of this rainbow and there's a pot of gold. No. This is an endless rainbow. You're going to keep on doing this for a long, long time. In fact, forever. Because like the universe, it's infinite and it's expanding. And so if you're going to be in an expanding state of consciousness, the kingdom of heaven, then it's infinite and it's ever expanding, which means it goes on and on. Now, there are two ways to look at that. Oh, no. Or, oh, wow. And how you choose to take it is entirely up to you. Or maybe it's not. Maybe you don't have any choice. Maybe you just have to do what your false personality dictates to you. Maybe you have not been able to get any kind of separation at all yet. In that case, you need to observe yourself so that you can begin to get some separation, so that you can begin to say, that is not I. And what does that mean? That is not I? That state, that I state, is not I. That's a state. I can leave it. 
or I can enter it, like a room. I can leave it or I can enter it. Lives of the rich and famous show us we can be surrounded by external luxury while in a very bad negative state. Why is it that these people who are multimillionaires, famous, live in mansions, drive Ferraris and Lamborghinis and Porsches and Rolls Royces and whatever else and fly airplanes and have things that you would just like, whoa, wow. They're just so far beyond your reach, so far beyond an average person's reach. It's hard to even imagine. So they have television programs, The Lives of the Rich and Famous. And what they do is like, they're like beggars pressing their nose at a restaurant glass, looking in at people feasting on things that they will never taste. But they still like to dream about it and think about it, which is a little sad, but that's life. That's what people do. So how can these people not be happy? Why are they not happy with the external luxuries? It's because they've fallen into a very bad eye state in their psychological world, under the ocean, as it were, where they can't see, where they don't know what it is that's affecting them. And so what happens? Well, they change partners. Well, did you know that this one and this one just got married? Oh, no, really? Oh, well, maybe. They, wait. Oh, they just got divorced. That's it. They were married for six weeks or six months or three years. Three years is a long time in Hollywood, I think. I mean, what do we say? Did you know that Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward were married for like forever? Really? Yeah, they were married for like 30 or 40 years or something. Unheard of in that industry. There are a couple of them, just a handful of the old actors and actresses who stayed married. The rest of them, they changed partners like with musical chairs because of this inability to negotiate the I-states. Well, I have everything. Why am I not happy? Well, it must be your fault. That's always what it is. If I'm not happy, it's got to be your fault because I have everything. So what I need is a new partner. What I need is somebody who can make me happy. Or better yet, what I need is someone who will stop making me unhappy. That's how it really works. It's not so much that we look for somebody who can make us happy. We start off thinking, this person makes me unhappy. I need to get rid of this person so that I can be happy again. And then we get rid of that person. We find that we're not happy again. So then we start to look for somebody who can make us happy. That's the mechanics of it. That's the order of it. That's pretty much how it goes with us. So back to the National Geographic thing, robotic submersibles equipped with sonar enable us to map a tiny fraction of what lies beneath our Earth's oceans. And when I say a tiny fraction, I mean it's really tiny. Some of these hidden areas, like our own eye states, are treacherously dangerous. One wrong turn can put you in a terrible place. And this is all external. They take these submersibles and they can only go down so far. And if they go over a ledge or go too far one way or another, that's it. It's gone. It's lost. It's really dangerous. And it's the same thing with us. Externally, you know if you're driving your car someplace. Let's say we're on that trip across the country and you're following the map. But the map's out of date or there's a detour. And it's at night. And you can end up, I don't know if it's ever happened to you, but I've ended up in some neighborhoods where I thought, oh man, how do I get out of here? We know from our experience that we shouldn't be in a neighborhood like that. And we want to get out as quickly as possible. We know from our experience also that we shouldn't be in some of these bad states, these negative states that we get into. We've unwittingly navigated into it, but too often we get stuck in a bad state 
for a long time. You can't seem to find your way out or you just get stuck and you don't know what to do next. Your sense of this work will leave you wondering what happened. How did you get so lost? Have you felt that? Once you start to become aware that you have an internal world, that you have a whole internal life, and that it's much bigger than this external world, you start to wonder, how did this happen? How did I get here? You knew better, but somehow you got stuck in it. The foremost task of self-observation is to learn how to be careful concerning how we behave in these I-states of our psychological world. We take far too much of it for granted. Just because the I-state is covered by miles of water doesn't mean it's harmless to us. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean there's no danger. Getting trapped down there can be deadly to our spiritual development. Getting trapped in a negative state, getting trapped in depression, getting trapped in anger, getting trapped in any negative state can be deadly. Morris Nichols said, I sometimes think, why does a person come here in a negative state, in a very bad place in a psychological world? Do you understand that such a person is a great nuisance to me? Well, yes, I do. I do understand that. I understand it all too well. I understand it because I have a similar position to his position. And trying to explain something to someone who comes here in a negative state is very difficult. And they make it very difficult, not just for me, but for everybody else in the room. You know, you have been that person from time to time. It's almost like we take turns being that person. There's got to be somebody who's in that state. I've often wondered why someone would seek out these podcasts just to drive themselves into negative I states. You're just as responsible for where you navigate internally as you are for where you navigate externally. Look, if you drive your car through somebody's house or through a store window or into another car, you're responsible for that. But the amazing thing about us is that internally, we can drive into somebody, run them over, and we feel completely irresponsible. It's not my fault. You shouldn't have been in the way. Well, you made me do it. Well, why did you jump out there? Well, why did you appear there? Now, of course, you have people who do that externally as well. But we have laws about that. You don't have any internal laws about this. All the internal laws, all the psychological laws, are of a higher order. And people living in a physical world mostly are not even aware of them. You have to study those laws in the same way you'd study a driver's manual so that you know what the laws are of the road so that you can drive on the road, so that you can pass a test to drive on the road. There is no test that you can take externally about your internal world. The test is how you live, what state you're in, being in the restaurant and being surrounded by all this beauty and being in a hateful negative state. That's the only test. So we need driver's ed internally because, like the earth beneath the oceans, the area is much, much larger and far more dangerous. Don't be fooled into thinking because you can't see it with the five senses that it isn't much more dangerous than anything you find in the external world. This is probably the most difficult thing to explain to people, that what goes on internally in your eye states is much more important than what goes on outside of you. Much more important. It's the difference between happiness and unhappiness. It can be the difference between spiritual life and spiritual death. You can't afford to be in a bad, negative I state for more than a very short time. It's corrosive, poisonous, noxious.
The longer you stay, the more danger you are in of all sorts of disasters that may befall you that would never happen if you were aware of your internal states through self-observation. Negative states always lead down to violence. You've heard this so many times, it should be a mantra for you now. Negative states always lead down to violence. They always lead to internal unhappiness, and no amount of external luxury will cure it. And the lives of the rich and famous is proof of that. No amount. You can go do retail therapy all day long. Sooner or later, that state is going to bleed through all your retail therapy, and you're going to be just as miserable as you were before you spent the money. No one who is negative can have any real feeling of happiness except from the love of being negative, which means to be in the worst internal state possible in your psychological world. There's nothing worse than loving being negative, being negative and loving it, because then you have to have more. It's not enough. You can't have enough negative. You've got to go dig up some more. And then it's like an addiction. Well, that much negativity used to get you high, but now you need just a little bit more to get you just as high. And then you need more to get you just as high. And then you need more. And it's exponential. You need more and more and more just to maintain your love of negative states. Being negative becomes an addiction. More and more negativity is needed to feed the love of being negative. And so like a junkie, you start to do anything to get your fix, sinking deeper and deeper, further and further from the light, just like in the ocean. When those submersibles go down, they don't go down very far, and then there is no light. The light of the sun only reaches so far down, and it's not very far. You go 30, 40, 50 feet down, it gets dark. You're 100 feet down, it's black. Unless you have light, there is nothing there. No light from the sun penetrates that far down. Down there, the fish don't have eyes. They don't need them. It's a whole different world. And so, being negative is like that. There's a point of no return. It's written in Matthew chapter 23, verse 15, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. It's no use pointing the finger at someone else. Proper self-observation begins and ends with our internal states of our own psychological world. No matter what else we're doing, this is the most important work there is. You may think that getting to work tomorrow morning on time is the most important thing in your life. You may think that getting to the baseball game or getting to this or getting that is the most important thing in your life. And it may be the most important thing in your physical life. But internally, it's almost meaningless because the real world is internal. The real world is spiritual. And this world is a shadow of that. If you order the real world and you get things ordered and right there, they will manifest in this outer world. Maybe not exactly as you think they should, but sooner or later they will manifest. If someone's sitting in that fancy restaurant and they can have anything they want and they're still miserable and hateful inside, the only way for any of that to change is if it changes inside. And then once it's changed inside, then that wonderful restaurant becomes an entirely different thing. And everything that's on the menu becomes an entirely different thing. It's transformed. So if you want your life, and we talk about transformation all the time, if you want your life to be transformed, the only way your life is ever going to be transformed if it's transformed internally, spiritually, psychologically. This work is all about that. And that's why they say you are in two places at once. Now find out which is the most important 
and work there. Because what you do there is thousands of times more important than anything that you do out here. You light up an instant matter.